Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Hey, Reward. Good to see you, brother. Oh my goodness, my man. How's it going, Zach? You doing all right, brother? So, I'm doing great, man. I'm so <laughs> excited. I've been excited about this conversation. Um, it's man. been so great to get to know you over the last few months, man. I'm excited that we continue rolling in the summer mixtape series that uh, we get to hear from you today. Come on. Thank you. And that is such a dope name, by the way. I was like, I'm going to steal that and do something with it. So <laughs> you got it, man. I'm you didn't need to give us credit. You just take it, do whatever you need. I'm excited, brother. Thank you so much. Well, um, to everyone who doesn't know Reward, um, Reward Sabanda is a speaker, writer, thinker, content creator with an undying passion for original thought, leadership, church engagement, and kingdom culture. I love that so much, man. He loves empowering people to transcend their limitations and reach for the higher life that God has for all of us, that abundant life, right, that Jesus talks about. Reward currently works at World Vision United States as the Senior Advisor for Church and Community Relations. He also serves as the guest services director for the Upper Room Church in Dallas, Texas, where he and his wife, Pam, currently live. Now, Reward and I, we met at a World Vision pastors gathering back in January. And two of my favorite people, a guy named Ryan Cavender and a guy named Chad Blue, um, both said, this is a guy you have to meet, you have to talk to. Um, his name is Reward. And uh, man, it was so great to get to meet you a little bit, talk to you a little bit, and then connect more and more. Um, over the last couple of months and just see all the incredible things that you are doing, man. And so for those that don't know, that's a little bit of your bio, but would you tell us a little bit of your, of your story, man? No, definitely, man. And, um, and, and I know you guys know this, right? Just at Restore, it's like Pastor Zach has the revered beard. You can't miss him in a room. So all that, we see God's providence, we see all that, but it was the beard that just drew me in. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's a, there's a beardic magnetism. That's not even a real thing, but... Um, That's one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. Thank you, man. <laughs> well, it's because you're in Austin and everybody there probably has an awesome beard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but in any, 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 yeah, any other context, you, you stick out. But no, <laughs> thank you so much for just the opportunity to, um, to be here, man. I love... I, I love the kingdom expression of the local church. I love what, I think that was God's most ingenious idea after creating man in his image and according to his likeness. I, a man, I, I, I'm fascinated by the book of Acts, right? Because I see that is essentially, that was the beginning, the genesis, but also the prototype. And we've come full circle yeah. into what God um, intended for us to do. And that aspect, my fascination, my excitement with the local church, Actually, it ties very deeply into my story, right? And um, thank you so much for asking me to share a little bit of that, but some yeah. context for you guys. So in case you notice, this is not the Dallas accent, right? And I know <laughs> Mr. Zach said that, but essentially from Zimbabwe, that is Gobulawai, which is the southern part of Africa, like right when you see Africa right at the tip at the bottom. That's essentially where we are, where I'm from. I am... Uh, from Debele, and Debele was a breakaway clan from the Zulu, right? So what I speak, my, my, my originating context is Debele, which is a sub-dialect of Zulu. Right now, um, consistent with the cultural norms of, right, 
being a, born in a Zulu context, I come from a very large family. Zach, you probably didn't even, even know this, but here's some trivia for you. So Zach, how, how, how many people, how many siblings would you say I have? Just a random guess, brother. Oh, God. Five? I don't know. That's, when I think <laughs> of huge families, I think of like five siblings. You know? Exactly. It's like, Zach's like, I cannot think of any more siblings <laughs> than four. It's like, what do you even do with that? So I have, I, I have 12 siblings, man. Family wow. of, uh, of 13. Same mom, same dad. So it's a huge family, right? Wow. And, uh, and back then, um, so essentially the context is my father was a subsistence farmer. She essentially means like we, we live off of the land. He used to work for a conglomerate and then he retired and then we lived off of the land. And so, so the more kids you have, right, the merrier, the, your kids are essentially your workforce, your labor yeah. force. So, <laughs> so that's where I, I come from, um, from that context. But something um, crazy happens um, with, with the, within larger African home context. So what happens is your, your parents put as much as they can into raising the first uh, three kids. Let me put it that way, right? I mean, they, they are present, fully there. They instill their wisdom on them. And, and then after that, right, child number one raises child number four, right? And then child number two raises child number five. So can you imagine getting to child number 11, right? It's like, so, well, that is a disclaimer to say, I don't think uh, they claim, respond. parents claim responsibility for anything I'm about to say. Right? No, no, but, but, but just kidding. But, but, but with that, though, when, when you are when you're born in a larger context, right? And you're born into your, your entire existence <clears throat> is around a utilitarian ideal. You are there to be a labor force. So you, you almost uh, develop a healthy or unhealthy, right? Um, almost uh, fascination and, and, and desire. It's a humanistic desire, but <clears throat> it's a little dialed up for just significance, right? Yeah. Yeah. wanting to be known, wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard. And, uh, and it's funny because I think, and it ties into my story, but I think this is, this is something that every human, regardless of culture, right, or context, uh, aches for and craves. Yeah. And that, that, so that was essentially something that um, when we go back, and I'll go a little bit into this, when we go back into the book of Genesis, right, God creates, and then he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, Right. And then he creates us right now. This God in community who exists in community, this God of total significance creates us mm -hmm. then in his image, which <clears throat> in our original context, we are significant. We're known, known, we're felt, we're loved. Then we fall out of that context, which means then our existential desire and ache is for us to be known and understood and loved in yeah. context, in loving context and community. So for me, obviously then coming out of that cultural context, which is several thousand degrees removed from that place of communal love and acceptance and accountability, I grew up, grew up with this and my formative stage. Now, obviously, so what happens when you finish high school and you have to go to college or choose a career path within that, the family essentially sits down, true story, and they decide what career path you should take, wow. which makes the most financial sense for the family. Sure. They, everybody pulls together, right? The funds to send you to college, 
okay. on, the, on, on the social contract that in four years you'll be completely independent, right? Yeah. Now yeah. you're a contributor to the family funds, yeah. if I can kind of put it that way. So for me then, as I was about to finish high school, they were like, all right, what do you, what does this guy want to do, right? And um, what does this guy want to do? So something happens about... I think it was about um, a couple of months from, from graduation to where I would have to kind of go ahead and present a solid life plan and path. And that was, so within that context, the airwaves, um, we have one TV channel and essentially okay. the airwaves are locked, right? Just um, for whatever it is. And as a trial, as a test, our, our national television starts broadcasting MTV for like one, <laughs> one week. <laughs> and they were like, that's a great week, man. You know, that's a great exactly. week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> In the spirit of cultural interchange, let's give this people MTV worst thing ever, man. After a week, <laughs> they pulled it back. They were like, we'll all pretend that never happened. But, uh, but what happened then is that entire week changed my entire high school, man, from the way people talked to the way yeah. people dressed to the way people carried themselves. Wow. And right without, without an accurate system of what is a vice and what is a virtue within this culture, everything is up for grabs. And I was just yeah. like, it so decontextualized my school wow. that it was like, oh my gosh, what, what did we essentially do? And that was the moment, Zach, where I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how powerful media was, right? Mm -hmm how powerful media was. So I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't quite have the message yet, but yeah. I know if I control the medium, right? I control yeah. the message. And if I control the message, I control the masses, right? Yeah. Insert like pinky in the brain there. More like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like but all this, this wasn't from this diabolical place though. It's, it's, it's this drive, this nascent itch and drive for, for relevance, right? Yeah in yeah. a sense. And it's, it's decontextualized, but at its purest form, it, it comes from a good place. And so I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to do film. So now I had to sell it to my family, right? right. And they were not having it, bro. They were just like, <laughs> we're not sending you to America to, you know, come be like some pseudo African, like Hollywood fake knockoff. <laughs> They're like, that is not a good investment on the family funds. Why don't you become a lawyer? And then we're oh, here yeah. for four years and then you figure out what to do with the rest of the four years. And then we're like, so I had to cut a deal. True story. I was like, if you guys pull with me and you send me to the US for two years, right? Just give me two years. Just pay for me for two years and I'll figure out the rest of my life. I mean, that, wow. that makes financial sense, right? They're like, yeah, okay, yeah. That, makes, that makes fiscal sense. We can do that. <laughs> and uh, so started applying um to some schools uh there was this one school i wanted to go to go to school full sale it's in florida okay and it was like i'm talking about it was top of the line it was the cadillac of of film expression back then but but now because of all the political sanctions and all the stuff that was happening in zimbabwe you could not essentially get a visa out of the country okay. right and so the only way you could get a visa was through through reputable organizations like Bible schools or, you know, like, like vocational training to you to yeah. go learn and then come back and contribute to, gotcha. to the African context. And so I had back then was my brother's girlfriend and um, now wife and everything. And she was at a Bible school and she's like, Hey, if you are going to try and tackle Hollywood, right? I think if MTV drove you crazy for one week, I think, <laughs> The, the, the prudent thing for you to do is, hey, come and spend at least one year 
at in Bible school, right? Within the bubble of Bible school, build a framework for the American context. Then after that, you can go out into the wild and crazy, right? Hollywood, sure. because there's something solid. You understand the framework and everything. So it sounded like great advice. And, yeah. and, by, and, and so we applied. And because of that, they kind of vouched and I got my, my, uh, my visa to come here. But the mission, right, was solid. The mission was I am going to go to film school and change Zimbabwe. But so I come here and I start going to, 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 to a Bible college called Christ for the Nations. That's in Dallas, yep. right? Dallas, yep. Texas. And do Zach, something happens as, as I'm going through this and I'm focused and I'm like, I'm just doing this for a year. And then afterwards I'm going to go to film. Something happens. And I, I feel like the Lord kind of shifted my major. And I noticed for the first time that the Western expression of church is the most powerful force there is in the world, right? Mm. And then it forced me to decontextualize and I'm like, oh my goodness, everywhere, Africa, Asia, whatever, the local church is the most powerful, right? Mm. Entity there is, there exists. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like, and I was like, oh yeah, I know this for a fact, right? Because a lot of so social and communal gathering happens around the local church. All right. And so at that point, I was like, I feel like that's what I should be pursuing. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I was blown away by how uh, a lot of the Western expression of church, much like Restore Austin, for you guys, it's very natural. But for me, it was very unnatural. Right. Because within the African context, the, the community itself is social. The whole village sure. raises the kid. Right. Yeah. Therefore, when we go to church, a lot of it is utilitarian. It's something yeah. we do. We go to church. Right. We get what we, we came for and then we leave because we do life. But what I noticed was the Western expression of the church had a lot of societal impact. You could have a church that's been of 60 or 70 people that's been meeting and the community knows them, right? And the community loves the contribution and they've started a school or a hospital or yeah. come on, Baptist, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, so, and so I was like, wow, this is really powerful. So all that to say, I was like, I feel like the Lord's changing my major. So instead of finishing that part of Bible school and then going to college, I was like, I'm just going to go to normal college, but focus on the local church expression of kingdom. Find yeah. out how the Western church is building this viable, sustainable, community-relevant entities and kingdom structures, and then take some of those humble learnings, right? And then try to use them in an African context. And so from there, I was like, what? Hey, reach out to some friends. Do you know any churches that are doing this right? And they were like, um, hey, there's, there's a guy in San Antonio who's actually planning a church. So if you really want to understand this, go in from the ground up. Yeah. And that essentially just completely forever changed my trajectory. Went there, was a part of Pearl Street Church, was, it, was what that was, and um, wow. did that. And my job, did I had a cush job, was essentially, <laughs> hey, find out churches which are doing it right, fly up there, drive up there, walk up there, whatever, sit down with their systems and structures and best practice people and their pastors, learn what they're doing and then come back and do it in our context. Wow. And so I literally just got to go around and ask all the goats how they were doing their things and then kind of come back and try to figure it out in a context. And uh, oh, that's awesome. Oh, dude, it's been an incredible journey. And that's how I, from there, that church had a building from there. I felt like I was like, okay, now the next level of training is 
let's find a church without a building, right? And yeah. as we find that church without a building, let's figure out how to motivate people on a Sunday to Sunday basis to come and volunteer and give up their lives and set up and create a, a, what I call a disposable culture, which is come up, create a cultural experience that people come in, have cultural interchange, cultural interchange, then go out of there and then you tear it down and you do it again, rinse and wow. repeat for yeah. as long as the Lord calls you to that context. That's what I did with the arsenal, man. And it was, glorious times so that lengthy um right a wise man once said if they, if you're given 10 minutes to cut down a tree right spend um eight minutes sharpening your axe yeah. and i've noticed that when it comes to conversations to where you're bringing in a sense cultural accountability to another culture yeah. it usually helps to go deeper on establishing your baselines and right credibility with the, with the yeah. conversation and then that way we're not tripping over oh this is what i mean and this is what i so i know you had given me like about a three minute intro but that's three minutes african that was times. killer <laughs> <laughs> well i loved it man honestly yeah. I, did, I didn't know all of that part of your story and going mm -hmm. to christ for the nations and fall in love with the local church yeah. i just i love that man because um i have a very similar story in wow. coming to faith i came to faith later in life i was 17 and had had some kind of difficult background with the church my first 17 years and oh, come wait. to faith and and man it was it was incredible because I, I go to college I, I start randomly working at this church as a youth pastor um, in <laughs> in rural West Texas and there were two wow. kids in the youth group when I got there you know yeah, and um, and I just fell in love with the local church you come know on. and and I, I really began to believe that that it, it, it's, it's God's greatest plan. Like you talked Come about, on. man, and it's the hope of the world and the gates of hell won't overcome it and all. Come and I just on, bought in, you know, completely. Come on, Come on. Love that part it's, of your So story. for you, just, just out of curiosity, what aspect of the local church for you was like, yes, this get, I, got me. Yeah. I, I think it was, it was the communal side of it. Right. And, yeah. and I, I worked yeah. at this church, um, in, in this rural setting, where yeah. um, it was kind of a lower socioeconomic area, <clears throat> a lot wow. of people that struggled, a lot of people that had deep need. And I watched as this church began to be kind of the hub for meeting a bunch of these needs, right? Yeah. And um, it, wasn't, it wasn't like a specific program. It wasn't like they launched something with, with a ton of idea in mind. It was like, oh no, I just see you as a community family member type person. And so Come why on. wouldn't I meet your need? This is what wow. we do. And I began to see the whole you know, a, a version of the Acts 2 model of they yeah, had no need yeah. among them, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it was incredible, man. And, and in a small town like that, I remember the first, uh, I, I got hired in November. And one of my first Wednesday nights was in December. We went yeah. Christmas caroling and just walked around all the little oh, neighborhoods saying <laughs> Christmas carols. And it was yeah. like every house we knocked on, um, somebody would come out. And whether they went to the church or not, the pastor that we were with, he knew their name. And wow. I was just blown away by it. You know, he knew he would, he would ask them something about how their life was going and, yeah. and did they need anything and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it was just, it was just amazing. So I think that's what I fell in love with is this dude. communal action that can really serve and help people. Precisely, dude. And, and man, I'm so jelly for your context because you got <laughs> introduced to church the right way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, totally that right. is the expression of church that everybody should and, 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 and would know. And so dude, that's no doubt, man. Hey, so you talked about growing up in Southern Africa and Zimbabwe specifically. And yep. one thing that you and I have talked about a lot and that I've seen you model through Blackbird and other things that you have going on um, mm -hmm. in your life and on social media and things like that is, is you talk about the ability to have respectful 
conversations, even in the midst of disagreement. And yeah. it's funny because um, I've actually, you know, when, when we've talked about summer mixtape on Sundays, I've kind of previewed it. Hey, we got this person, this person, this person. And I usually give like a little one sentence. Hey, this is what we're going to talk about. And I've, you know, just said, hey, I've got my friend reward. We're going to talk about how to have respectful conversations, even in disagreement. And every time I've got like five people that text me or come up to me and they're like, I can't wait for that one. Wow. I can't <laughs> wait for that one because, man, do we need that. And so yeah. coming from the African context where you've told me like it, it happens a lot more naturally. This deep yeah. community actually yeah. fosters the ability to have respectful, loving conversations, even in the midst of disagreement. And you've been in the West long enough to know we are bad at this. <laughs> we are very, very bad at this, whether it's social media in person yeah. or whatever. We, we, yeah. we have the tendency to, to faction, to put people into tribes, to say um, they're bad, I'm good, and, and really don't do a lot of listening to each other, disagreeing in a healthy way. And so I just would love for you to spend some time schooling us on how we can get better at this, you know, based <laughs> on your experiences and, and, and your background. No, thank you so much for that. And uh, I, I, man, I, I, I feel like I would have learned more after this conversation than anything. So <laughs> thank you for using the word school, but uh, I think <laughs> it's definitely mutual learnings. But, but I, here's what I love about the English language specifically. Zach, and it is the um, just the power and the intentionality behind the rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, your statement, which was um, how to have respectful, what was it? Respectful conversations, even in the midst of disagreement. Exactly. Okay, so let let's look at that. Like, let let let's let's begin our flight. Let's take off from there, right? Okay. Respectful conversation. If you look at respect, right, it's a byproduct of good, healthy community. If you look at conversation, it's a byproduct of good, healthy community. You cannot have a good, healthy community or family and not be respectful towards each other, right? Now, even if you disagree, right, the fact that you're in good, consistent, healthy community means you will be respectful of each other, right? And, and, and if, if you cannot be in a good, healthy community and not have conversations, right? right? Because conversation is a byproduct of good and healthy community. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's almost like I would even like to launch into this by reestablishing the baseline and almost like redirecting us to the core of the conversation. We do not know how to have good, respectful conversations in a Western, I'm, it's not just an American thing. I feel like it's a Western thing because we have forgotten the art of good community. Oh man, right. if you're watching, write that down. That's a good because, word right there. <laughs> because wow. yeah, because everything from, from respect to accountability, to discipline, to disagreement, it is the art of humanity. The art of humanity mandates, right? That yeah. it happened within the context of good community. So I, I would like to almost take a segue in the spotlight away from the fact that we can't even talk about anything and go to the root issue of like, well, before we talk about this, are we family? Yes or no, right? Yeah. Because if you think about it, the, the problem then becomes our perspective, right? Yeah. So for example, when I go to, when I enlist in a gym and I pay a personal trainer, right? As long as I understand that that is a controlled environment, I will not take some guy screaming in my face telling me I'm a weakling personally because I understand the context, right? right? I will not take 
the hard conditions of pushing against something and doing fruitless and repetitive labor in the moment because I understand that it's context. I understand that at the end of the day, this is a controlled environment. And at the end of the day, this guy is, has my back and is here, is working for me and he's here to make me, right? And that's why you will never hear like someone, can you think of how ridiculous it would be? Like you're watching two people working out and a coach is like, come on, you can do this. Don't be a weakling. And someone from the side goes, hey, you can't be disrespecting that person. Like, no. No one ever says that to him because everyone within that gym community understands why we are there, the roles of everybody in there, and, 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 and the, 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 the common goal and the byproduct. Everyone within a gym, at least, even though to varying degrees, everybody knows that you're there to make your life and yourself better. Right. And right, that forms the parameters of, of what that community essentially looks like. So let's start right. there. Let's start talking about why is community so important, right? Why is it that the moment we do not get the community model right, everything falls apart, right? Yeah. Even in the most technologically advanced civilizations and cultures like the West. Why is that? Well, let's go back to the garden. Now, I don't know the, the makeup of the people that go to restore Austin, right? So with that said, I will not assume, I will not take certain liberties and assumptions. And I will say, let's say someone we all come from differing, or, or rather we all subscribe to differing um, origin co- uh, uh, philosophies, right? Sure. And let me yeah. tell you about mine. So in our creation philosophy, in what I believe the Judeo-Christian right, perspective, it states that we exist because God created us in his image and according to his likeness. He creates man and it gives him a mandate, which is dominion, right? And then that's essentially, we evolve over aeons and epochs and that's why we find ourselves where we are at. Now, in this context, right? And now I can go back to claiming it as myself. So in my Christian context, God is the creator. We are the creation, right? God is the cause, we are the effect. The effect will always mirror the cause. The creation will always embody definitive traits of the creator. So what does that mean? That means everything about the humanistic experience, right? We can trace in its purest form back to the God who created us in his image, right? So what do we know about God? When, when we begin, when we jump into the Bible, the first thing that we know about God is that, is that we, have an, we, 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 we have an introspective God. Let me put it that way, right? We have, there's an element of rationale in the God that we worship, right? That's number one. Then he looks and he broods over this. And then the, first, then the second thing is that we see that we have a God who, who speaks. And God said, let there be. And there was, right? And in that, we see that in this God who speaks, when this God speaks, he creates. So that means we also worship a creative God. So, originally, so right there, we know that introspection and communication and creativity are things about the humanistic expression which we cannot substitute or take away. Otherwise, the whole thing malfunctions because when this God exists, he is these things fully. And then the third thing is like, so God, he creates all those things. And then the fourth and the most important thing is God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. That us right there is the fourth aspect of what I want to talk about which is community. So this God exists and has always existed because 
our God has no beginning. He has no end. He transcends time and dimensionality, right? Yeah. So which means this God, right, exists, has always existed in a state of community. Mm. So this God who, who introspects, this God who speaks, who communicates, this God who creates, and this God who is in community, creates us in his image, which means, guess what, right? It's a little redundant, but you get what I'm saying? That as humans, yeah. those are the four tenets that make up the humanistic expression. Yeah. And anytime you look at a culture and ask what went wrong, you can ask those four things. Have we stopped being introspective? Mm. Have we stopped being creative or giving context for creativity? Have we stopped communicating? And have we stopped living in community? That's good, man. And we will always trace the societal dysfunction that exists in our world or in our cultural context to a violation, a core and fundamental violation of those four tenets of the humanistic expression. Right? Yeah. Wow. So, so before we get to why aren't we having all this conversation I'm going to ask you this thing, Zach, and yeah. you have been American way longer than I've been right, in an American context. Sure. So, so let me ask you this, and you can go as, as deep or as shallow as whatever, but Zach, right, would you say the West or the Western world, can you evaluate us on our ability to introspect, to go within, to self-evaluate, to judge who we are, to ask the weightier questions about our existence? How do you think we're doing on that? Not great is probably how I answer that. Um, you know, I, I think that, that you ha have a country um, like America that was yeah. um, a built, uh, founded on, um, you know, initially some, some wanting to get away from some oppression, some religious freedom issues. All, I and mean, there was a lot of factors that kind of led to people leaving Western Europe and coming here, right? Um, yeah. but, but then you, you see how um, even people who initially were, were fleeing some oppression or fleeing some persecution end yeah. up turning into oppressors and persecutors very mm. quickly, right? Mm. With, with the Native Americans that were here and then with enslaved Africans after that, right? So you exactly. have an entire country that was founded and built upon um, in, in extreme, extreme oppression yeah. um, and, uh, and persecution of, of other people and these mm. two major groups here. And and so I, I, I don't think we've done a great job of being truly introspective about that. And, and I'll just speak for me personally, as yeah. someone who grew up, I grew up in, in here in Austin and, and went to um, private schools through, I guess, fourth grade and then public schools fifth through 12th grade. And so I got a, a broad range of education, went to, to four or five different schools throughout that time, history classes in every single one of them. And I will tell you, <laughs> history classes when I what I learned about Native Americans and enslaved Africans yeah. was in, incredibly minute compared yeah. to the other things I learned about in our history right in exactly. our state history and our country's history and, and so <laughs> graduate I, this is a true story people, people yeah. don't believe me it was not until seventh grade that I found out that the south lost the civil war okay like <laughs> I, I just assumed <laughs> I just assumed, you know, right? because but I, if you think about it, right, history will always be written from the perspective of the victors, right? Right. Totally. And, you know, I lived in the South, right? My, the high school that I went to, we were the rebels. We had a rebel flag. We had a Confederate flag. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, this is, this is my context. So, so yeah. uh, growing up in that, and, and then I find out in seventh grade Texas history that the South lost the Civil War, I, I said, 
wait, why do we, why do we still have the flag? And, 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 why and do let we, me, just in case there's some Africans or people, seventh grade, what age is that, Zach? Yeah, I guess I was 12, 13, yeah, 12. Yeah, so I was 12. Oh my gosh, uh, can you imagine how much values have already been instilled on the oh, inside yeah. of you with such a critical piece of information missing? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. And so <laughs> when I think about introspective and, and, and how we're even training up, yeah. young Americans to understand yeah. our history and to train them to be introspective about who we are and who we have been and who we want to be moving forward. Precisely. I would not give us a great grade on introspection. <laughs> exactly. And I love how you, you just intuitively went there because you talked about race, right? Which um, race, I don't, think, I don't think we have a, a racial issue, right? I think we have a justice issue. Right. It's not about race because race race is divisive, right? But it's if it's a justice issue, that is that is the essence of the kingdom. But if you if you look at that, right, you could go through my four again and we'll do it at the end, but you can tell that the first or rather the, the, the first sign that there's something fundamentally wrong with our value systems is the fact that I cannot oppress another person if I have a healthy introspective life. Yeah. Right. I can't I can't step on you or step on your toes or step on your neck or take away your fundamental human rights. If I have to go back home and sit around a table and hold hands with my wife and my kids and have a time of introspection with the God who made me, especially since. Right. The West claims a level of 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 spiritual enlightenment. Right. Right. You see what I'm saying? And so, yeah, that's one of those things. So introspection. Uh, Professor Zach, Professor Lambert, Doctor Lambert, did not give us a good grade on that. So there's extra credit, right? What yeah. was what is the second one? What was the second one? Um, communication. That's All speaking, right. You know, I, I think you know with communication and creativity. Um, you know, I, I think that that we we've done a a good job with the um, the medium to to mm. your point, right? Like we've yeah. we we've been on the creative side. I think, you know, we're we're not I wouldn't call us more creative than any other people group or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But but we we certainly have done a good job of unleashing American yeah. creativity. Right. Exactly. Um, and uh, and and I think that you see that from inventions and progress and things like that technologically and um all of that kind of stuff. And then um, you know, with the with the communication part of it too, um I think that, you know, we we've done a fairly good job of of understanding mediums and, and yeah. working well to invent new mediums and control new mediums. And as you even said, in, in a place like Africa or other countries where you see American communication influence happening in other parts of the world. Right. And yeah. so I think that um, in, in, on some level, if you look at it from just a very black and white perspective, like we're pretty good at those things, um, yeah. you know, from, uh, from executing them, I guess, but I guess I would, I would worry about the purposes that we use them for, you Precisely. know, but I think that goes back to, um, bad grades with the other two. I think bad grades with introspection and bad grades with community and really caring for one another yeah. deeply. Yeah. Um, I think if you, it seems like to me, uh, you're, these are your categories, so please correct me if it's wrong. No, but no, it seems like yeah. to me that if you, if you don't have those two kind of on lock and, and, yeah. and really in the right space and direction, then yeah. you can pervert the other two, the creativity Precisely. and the communication, and you can Precisely. use them for bad ways. You, you get it. And, and that's why, Zach, just to give you guys, uh, some of you guys watching a framework, that's why I feel introspection is the aspect of the God expression that he chose to reveal first. Because without introspection, we don't even have an accurate calibration tool for the other ones. So, for example, right, 
nobody can deny, right, that um, the American or the West is, right, the, um, the flagship of creation or creativity. Sure. But the moment we introspectively look at it, right, we see the myopic nature, right, because, because creation is two things. It's, it's expression and context, right? There's, there, there has to be, uh, if, if for you, for example, you can be a creative dad, but in order for your kids to be creative, it means you have to create safe spaces, right? Sure. For them to bring their creative expression, and then you come up with something like this. Now, when you introspectively look at our creative process in the West, you see that it's myopic at best. It's just like the people in positions of privilege and power said, we're going to create this world in our image, right? And yeah. we will deeply censor your contribution as the rest of the world. If you're Asian, if you're African, if you're anything other than mainstream creativity, we will censor what that looks like. And so because of that, we have not given all these other cultures a context for creation, right? And it's only under completely controlled environments where you get something like, for example, I'm going to go as because uh, I don't know my, my, my demographic who I'm speaking, but I'm going to go as pop reference as I can and say, yeah. that's why when you get movies like Crazy White, uh, what was it? Crazy Rich, Crazy Rich Asians. Asians. Yeah. Or when you look at a movie like Black Panther, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, oh, this one movie, and now it's a cultural phenomenon, regardless of the fact that this is probably a bad movie, right? <laughs> it, 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 if it was not using this cultural context, this would not be a movie worth all the, but, but all of a sudden that in itself introspectively shows that we are very myopic and an expression of our selfishness shows even in our creative process, because yeah. we may be creative within this framework, but because we have not given other voices and other perspectives, right. right. Context to contribute to our creativity. Then I would even say as a Westerner, right. Our creative process, yes, it looks creative, but to everybody else, it's like, uh, okay, I mean, I, I see, but uh, right. where are all the people that look like me? You know what I'm saying? Man, I, I hear that. And I think so much of it, what you're talking about, of not recognizing the creative um, expressions or communication abilities in other people, especially people who look different than us or who are from different places than us, comes yeah. from a lack of recognizing the image of God in other Ooh, people. Come on, Imago I, I Day. Mean, it has to happen. It has to Preach. happen. And, and I think that for a lot of us, regardless of who we are, where we're from, we really struggle with an elevation of um, our version of the image of God in us and yes. an, an oppression of the image of God in someone else. Yes. Right? Because yes. the truth is that you can't step on someone else. You can't enslave someone else. You can't Boom. put your knee on someone else's throat. As they say, I can't breathe. You can't Come on, do Pastor that Zach. if you recognize the image of God in that person. Come on, Pastor Zach. It goes away, right? And so that takes introspection though, and it takes community. And so, man, I, oh my I love goodness, that. you're preaching. Somebody pass, I don't even know if you guys do this at Restore, but pass the offering bowl right now. <laughs> pass it and shut it down. <laughs> but 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 you know, you know, do you know why I have, deep empathy for because i don't think it's a white thing i think it's a human thing and here, here's why i'm saying this right so this god let's go back to our origins right if you ever want to understand something you got to go back to 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 the manual right so god exists right perfect community all these things then he creates us in his image right when did he create us right before the foundation he creates us in his image 
Which means when we are created in his image, then at a nascent existential baseline level, yeah. we will always attempt to recreate things in our image. Mm, yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? Totally. So that means if our perspective and our introspective view of the God image in ourselves is warped, I will be unable to see the God image in someone else. And yeah. so what I am going to do is I am going to try and recreate the world in my image. Yeah. Look at the genocides. Look at people like Hitler. Look at everybody who's ever done something, right? The bad aspect of it. Those were people who were trying to recreate the world in their image, okay. which is a perverted image of their creator. It's something they were born with. They can't understand it. They just see something wrong with the world or they just see the world and be like, I want to, I want to tweak it this way. Why? Because we carry the DNA of the creator, right? Mm -hmm. Now let's look at it from a good perspective. Do you have any kids, Zach? I do. I got two. I got Judah that's five and a half and Major that's one and a half. Boom. All right. That was a rhetorical question because I can see them right behind you. And I know they yeah. <laughs> had the conversations, but I can, me and my wife, and she's a, in Enneagram seven, like me, we, okay. we always play this game which um, whenever we're bored and we're people watching, right? And it's like, match the kid to the parent. <laughs> and do you know you can always tell whose kid is who because the kid will dress and act like a miniature version of the parent, oh, which yeah. means even in parenting, we try to raise our kids in the image of us because sure, it's something yeah. that's on the inside of us. So I yeah. love how you brought up the fact or the aspect of the Imago Dei or the image of God because I believe that those four are the core. If you want to ask yourself, if you want to decontextualize the imago Dei, the image of God from being this nebulous metaphysical thing and ask, what is, what is the praxis of the image of God? It's, that, it's those three things, right? If you are introspective, right? If you are creative and by creative also allowing a context for contribution of creativity, mm, yeah. right? If you are in communication, right, in fluid, solid communication, and if you're also those four things, you will not have a problem seeing the God image on the inside of you. Yeah. And then everything in your interaction with the world will then just be you bouncing your value system of yourself on every other interaction that you have. God, so good reward. Yeah. Thank you, man. Gosh, that's... Um, Man, I, I so appreciate your time being on here with us, man. I appreciate your perspective. Um, I, I, I learned from you today, man, just like I do every time that we talk. And those <laughs> four you, things, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those away. And I hope that everybody does as well, that when we recognize the image of God in us and yeah. our call for, for dominion, which is really this idea of cultivation of, of the mm -hmm. world, of humanity, of that kind of stuff, cultivation and care, when we recognize our understanding and our mandate for that, we begin to recognize the image of God in, in others too. And, oh. uh, and then it becomes, it becomes impossible um, when we're living in that deep space to have um, mean, rude, impatient, unbearable conversations Precisely. with people. We're, we're able to have loving, careful Pre conversations. Precisely. And if you think, man, you said it so well. Hey, everybody, meme pastor. If, if, you, if you're not memeing this man, <laughs> you, you played yourself. You're playing yourself. But, but, but with that, then communication and race and every, then we're not just a generation that chases hashtags, right? Yes. To where we wait for the next injustice or we wait yeah. for the next thing that, and then we just know. But then we become, proactively become the generation which says, oh, 
okay, we have a racial issue, but race is the fruit or injustice is the fruit. What is the root? Have I and my family and my wife and my children, have we been introspective and held ourselves to that community, right? Value. And when you go through those four, you will see that um, civil conversation, right? Race, injustice, all those become an inconsequential side effect. They will just phase because we got the things that make us human right yeah. in the first place. So I love how you almost, you, you said that, bro. Oh, that's so good reward. Thank you, brother, for real, man. Thank you for the time. Um, thank you for friendship and brotherhood, man. I can't wait to hang out with you more and more in the coming days and months and years. And um, man, I would love for you if you would just close us with a prayer over, over our church, over your church, over um, uh, the ministries that we're both a part of and, and for, for our world as well, man. Awesome. And, and just if I can um, take some yeah. liberties, Zach, just to say, restore Austin you have a pastor who fundamentally gets this. If anything, this entire conversation has just been talking about the importance of nascent value systems. And for Pastor Zach to even talk about how his integration and his exposure to church was from such a healthy community and communal concept means you are in incredible hands. And so, man, Pastor Zach, I just want to say thank you for, 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 for not only being from a context that gets it, but for creating spaces and asking the kinds of questions and inviting the kinds of voices, which like me aim to, to arm your community and your church in these days, in these crazy days that we're going into. So I just wanted to affirm you in that, man, and oh, say- Thank you, brother. That I'm means so much. so, so, so hopeful. The answer to the race issue, if people are asking, the answer to the justice issue is communities like Restore Austin. Mm -hmm right? Shepherded by people like Pastor Zach Lambert. So I just wanted yeah, to thank you for kind. that, man. And uh, thank you, brother. That, that means more to me than, than you'll ever know, man. Yes, sir. And Father, we just come before and I thank you that even as you made us in your image, Lord God, you will make shepherds after your own heart, Lord God, to then create communities that model what your kingdom community looks like. And so, Father, I just thank you for Restore, Lord God. I just thank you for uh, Pastor Zach. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his laid down life. I thank you for his yes. That is so countercultural, Lord God, but so kingdom cultured. And I just pray that, Father, you would just give him, continue to give him exposure to different communities, Father, which understand his heart, and they can speak, Lord God, to uh, the greater conversation. I pray that you'd continue to give him a larger community, Father, and trust him with more hearts and more context and more lives, Lord God, and just bless them and everything that they're doing at Restore. I just pray that in this generation to come, Restore, Father, would be a safe house, a safe space, Lord God, and the kind of house where people can come from all walks of life and find refuge knowing that your nature and the God image in them is yeah. cultivated and is represented. I ask and I thank you for this opportunity. Bless your people and bless every single person watching. And Father, may these core convictions, Lord God, be the compass that guides them through life, that we're made in your image. And therefore, we see other people as being made in your image regardless of what culture has taught us their images. And so we thank you and we bless you. And I thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For real, thank you so much, brother. It's been an honor, man. Thank you, brother. God bless, man. I appreciate it.